0: Hey, welcome to KSL Plus, the digital-only news show where we go beyond the headlines and dive into some of the biggest issues of the day. I'm Matt Rascone. and today we're looking at policing and where it goes from here.
2: We, the jury, in the above-entitled manner as to count one... Former
0: Minnesota police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty... The defendant guilty. ...of all three charges against him in the death of George Floyd... Second and third degree murder charges and one count of manslaughter. Find the defendant guilty. He is only the second officer to be convicted of murder in the state of Minnesota and the first white officer to be convicted of killing a black man in that state. The prosecution told the jury to believe their eyes and referring to that video, of course, seen around the world showing Chauvin kneeling on top of Floyd. And the jury believed it, making their decision after roughly 10 hours of deliberation. Oh And the reaction from Salt Lake City to Minneapolis was immediate.
2: Make some noise for joy yeah. yeah, I've literally had anxiety all day. So like just the fact that um, it came it came out the way it's supposed to, um, I'm gonna be able to take that deep breath tonight and that's, that's relieving.
0: But what happens next year? What does the verdict in this one compelling case mean for the ongoing movement to change policing?
2: It shouldn't be so rare that hundreds of people come out just because a murderer was convicted of murder. We need justice every time. Let me hear it.
0: Over the last week, I and several of my colleagues have spoken to activists on the ground.
2: I believe we need the Justice in Policing Act to pass in Washington. And we also need to push for police reforms in each state, police accountability and transparency. So I believe that, you know, the whole the whole movement can't
0: be based on the results of one case. We have to still keep fighting. Justice. When do we want it? Now. And on Tuesday, minutes after the judge read the jury's decision aloud, I sat down with former Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank. He now works for the Center for Policing Equity. That is reimagining policing in the society.
2: So, what we do is it is really a bunch of behavioral research scientists, and we look at what's going on. We study the statistics, the data within policing, and then determine the actions of policing, what is leading to the disparity in the outcome. And then we make recommendations of how to change policing, reimagine policing, if you will in order to make it more equitable, to do away with bias and ultimately racism that exists in the system currently.
0: At the time we're recording this interview, I mean, we're just minutes after the verdict was read off in this case in Minneapolis with Derek Chauvin. Uh, What what were were your thoughts?
2: Oh, it's huge. It's huge. But uh, having said that, right we have a bad habit of looking at that moment in time, right? We saw a horrible incident play out in front of the nation, in front of the world, and we now have a verdict that has condemned that action. But when we look at policing as a whole, we now need to take that and say, how are we going to change policing so that you and I aren't having this discussion a year from now? Right. And what we've been very poor in the past is identifying how to make changes. We look at the officer, right? Oh, if they just weren't biased, if they just weren't heavy handed, right? Then we wouldn't have these problems anymore. Well, we've been making changes to the officers for years, for my entire career, and it hasn't changed the outcome. Now it's time to say, let's do things differently. Not the same thing, just gentler. Let's absolutely change what we're doing and that will change the outcome.
0: Yeah. What, what does that look like?
2: Well, it, it can really look like a bunch of different things. Uh, the example I always like to use is when you consider traffic stops. Think of how many people have been killed in traffic stops. How many police officers are killed in traffic stops throughout the country every year? And when you look at a traffic stop, the act of riding a ticket has no bearing whatsoever, scientifically, on the safety on the roadway. And then think about, we'll just take Seventh East here in uh, Salt Lake, the millions of dollars over the last 20 years, 30 years that have gone on in enforcement activity. The most expensive thing in city government are police officers and the time associated with them. And then think about the impact to community members, the disparity that exists there. Now ask yourself, do people still speed on Seventh East? We haven't changed behavior at all. In fact, the police have to hide in order to allow the people to commit this horrendous violation and catch them and write them a ticket. That doesn't change their behavior even as they drive down the street at the same moment. When speed boards that flash your sign, speed bumps, roundabouts, all these things impact traffic. And guess what? A speed bump does not care what your race is. One of the crucial things is we need to change the laws governing use of force, especially dead with force. We need to look at the totality of the circumstance. We need to look at the exigency. Why is it immediately necessary? Not just reasonable, necessary. And when you combine those three things, I'm not talking about going and catching police officers after the fact. I'm talking about setting a new set of rules. And then teaching officers to that and holding them accountable to those as we go forward. Everyone is still, I mean, we, we're still talking about bias training. I mean, I was so disappointed to see Salt Lake City purchased more non-lethal weapons. So in other words, we're just going to do the same thing, but we'll shoot you with a softer thing as opposed to a real bullet. That's not solving the problem. That's just changing the action of force. Why are we having those force encounters in the first place? Why are police officers shooting 13-year-old autistic children? These are the questions that we cannot tolerate right, as a society, and we make the mistake of saying this level of violence is okay. right? We, Oh, it was really a bad person, so that makes it okay. No. Every single use of force against a member of the public is a failure of our system. Every single use of force against a police officer is a failure of our system. Why do we allow for this level of violence that is not seen in other countries? Now, yeah.
0: I'm thinking about you're, you're talking about changing the rules at the higher level, like laws, uh, oh, as absolutely. opposed to just because I'm thinking you change policies in an organization. Uh, and so an officer breaks that policy. They can be fired, but not even be criminally held, held accountable? Like, they need to be held accountable at the law.
2: Well, so really it is a layered effect. And the mistake we make is we're going to solve everything all at once. Right? There are things the federal governments should do. There are things states should do. There are absolutely things cities and police departments can do. And in fact, some of those things... So if you look at consent searches... As a black man in this country, you are about eight times more likely to be asked for a consent search. The efficacy of that effort, so the time the officer is right, in most cities in the country falls below 3%. In many circumstances, it's less than 1% effective. This is stop and frisk in New York City. So imagine if people watched you 1% of the time, and the rest of the time they turned the channel when they saw your face come on the news. Would you be on the news very long, but yet we pat officers on the back and say, that one time you got a gun, good job, son, this is the right thing to do. And the ancillary impact on society has created generational poverty, generational mistrust, and has put us in the situation we are now. We have got to change. Right? We have the country right now, right here in front of us. Let's change it. I, I'm just insistent. I began my career 30 years ago with Rodney King happening in Los Angeles. Can't tell that there's a lot of difference between that circumstance and now Chauvin, other than the outcome of the trial. Right.
0: Well, since you brought it up, I mean, let's go back to the outcome of this trial. What Does this actually... Does the impact of this trial go beyond the protests or... or... Or rallies that we could see in the streets, you know, over the next few days. Uh, what, what happens next or what should happen?
2: Well, what should happen next is we now say, okay, we have gotten the attention of all the players here. The public, the police, the political entities. Right? We have demonstrated that not only is this wrong, but it's criminally wrong. And now's the time to start make the changes... To the entire profession, to the entire criminal justice system, if you will, in order to ensure this doesn't happen again. And so, if we're still talking about bias training six months from now, then we will have failed.
0: The The things that I've heard brought up are, you know, um, checks and balances, like an oversight committee, um, you know, mandatory turning on your your video uh Cameras on on the officers and things like that are these are these some of the right things to be
2: bringing up? Well, they should be done, but those aren't the things that are going to change it. Right? Think about the video camera that we saw in Minneapolis. Derek Chauvin performed for the video; didn't change his behavior whatsoever. But if you have a rule in place that we are not going to engage with members of the public for misdemeanor offenses that really have no bearing on the outcome of things, that you're not allowed to use force in a certain way, that you can't, right? If you now change why we're doing it or what we're doing, it's not just hopeful that, oh, we captured it. Well, what if you don't capture it, right? What if someone stands in the way? Does that mean it's okay? And again, this is the the fallacy of policing. We should not accept another person dying at the hands of a police officer or another police officer dying at the hands of a member of the public. This is unacceptable. And if the rest of the world struggled with this same, you know, issue, then maybe we could say, boy, it's just insurmountable. But proliferation of guns our acceptance of violence, the identity politics. All these things come into play as to why there's a problem in policing. But what we want to do is say, ah, it's policing's problem. It's police officers' problem. This is a societal problem. Racism right, is not just in policing. It is in education. It's in employment. In fact, more impactful on whether or not someone is going to be in the criminal justice system is their access to health care. And yet we are arguing over things that are not going to change the outcome when we need to look holistically and say, all right, there's a whole bunch going on and we need to make sure that it's not one extreme or the other, right? I'm, I'm in the middle. Let's come to the middle and have some compromise, have some agreement in order to move this forward.
0: Yeah. Across the board.
2: Across nice. the board. Across the board. We also sat down with
0: Moises Prospero. He's been a juvenile criminal justice social science researcher for nearly 30 years. He now sits on Salt Lake City's newly minted Racial Equity and Policing Commission. So he has plenty he'd like to see implemented. But it's been quite the journey to get to where he is today.
1: When I grew up as a kid, I hated cops. I hated School administrators, they hated me. <laughs> it was part of the, I'm from El Paso, Texas, El Paso, Texas, which is primarily Latino, Mexican American and Mexican immigrant too. Uh, and it just was part of our culture that we're not supposed to like law enforcement. I feel I got lucky. I feel I got really lucky that I didn't end up in a worse place, even though I was consistently harassed like one time, I'm I'm driving back from one city to another. I don't know. If, uh, I think I was 15 or 16. We were at a party and we were been drinking. Right? Uh, but the guy's driving, and then back then the push wasn't as much about DUIs, but you knew enough to. This guy's driving horribly, and it's on the freeway, and he's doing all this dumb stuff. I said, "Dude, let me out." What? Let me out. Um, no way. So he pulls over and wants to fight me. We don't need to fight. I'm out of the car. Bye. Right. And so I'm walking. It's going to take me probably like two hours to get home, but I don't care. I'm, I'm out of that. So what happens, uh, as I'm walking down the, the highway, uh, a sheriff's, uh, deputy stops me, uh, says what I'm doing. I said, just walking home. Um, uh, and so he asked me, have you been drinking? And I thought, well, I'll be realistic. Yes, I did have a couple of beers at this party, but I've been walking for quite a while and I'm quite sober. (laughs) And this is why I'm walking, because this guy was drunk and I didn't want to. So instead of saying, hey, you know what? That was a good choice that you did do that. Bad choice that you did drink, which you shouldn't. You know what? You live pretty far and this is pretty late. It's dark. Some of the places I was going to go, let me give you a ride so you can arrive safely to your home. And we could talk to your mom and dad about this, right? There's still some accountability. Instead, he turned around, knocks you up against the, the car, of course, kicked your legs open, uh, uh, you know, the hard search, and then uh, uh, puts cuffs on me. And then, of course, oh, as they're putting you in the back, saying, oh, I'm sorry, I hit you in the head, you know, getting in. Where did this come from, <laughs> right? <laughs> And it takes me into his little, like a little jail out that's outside of the main city. And so he's just trying to find something on me. Come on, this guy's gotta be a gang member. He's gotta be something, he's gotta have weapons, nothing. So then he still takes me all the way to the city to the county jail, which is like two hours away. Why, why are you doing all of this? So, So for me that just showed how law enforcement just did not understand how to work with with youth for sure and not community as well. Uh, and so that was just the norm. Even in the military, the MPs would harass us the infantry. And so when I came back, I went to school and uh, I worked in a lab, eventually in a psychology lab. And one of my uh, uh, members there, she was married to a cop. And one day we went to uh, a, um, a party yes you she wanted, oh, okay, I guess we'll go, oh, they meet this cop. Ugh. We hit it off so well. I mean, we were so alike, right? And and, and he did the same thing with me. He's like, Mo, I th- I thought you were a gang member, man, because I, ha- I have tattoos. Up, I'm like, I thought you were a gang member. So, yeah, I got these tattoos in the Marine Corps, you know, which some people do call uh, an official government-sanctioned gang. But. You know, it was very different from the other ones. And so we both had those perspectives and we humanized each other, right? And he gave me a glimpse of law enforcement. Uh, it was still very hyper back then, but it also r- reminded me that there are humans. He had a kid. I would babysit his kid all the time. Um, uh, his kid had severe ADHD. I worked in a mental health facility at that time. I was able to assist in a lot of ways uh and so that really changed my mind um why am i hating other humans uh yes i should have been mad at what that person did but they're not all like that Uh, and this hatred is only hurting me because i'm not going to ever interact well with them which could put me in in a in a bad place Uh, so let's turn the other cheek and i want to be a social scientist uh and to be a social scientist, one of the best things to do is to be able to build relationships, uh, and that's how you get the best data, and therefore that's how you get best practice and policies out there. Uh, and then when I moved here, again, doing a lot of the criminal justice work here, just meeting all these people in the, in the system, and the vast majority of people wanting to do the right thing, but just not knowing how to do the right thing.
0: For Prospero, focusing on community policing is one of the most important efforts in police reform.
1: Training how to how to work better with community, how to do, true, be a true community policing organization, uh, and there is a misunderstanding out there among police departments as well as others that community policing means you have three or four officers at eight to five go and do community events, maybe go to a school, maybe go to uh, um, a community council meeting. And hey, we did our thing. We did coffee with a cop um, and that's that's not community policing. Community policing is a philosophy where we are a partner with community, community leads. We are just part of that. We do not need the community does. And then we all bring in our information. Uh, and that is simple stuff like I stopped at the Seven Eleven, And as somebody was walking out, I said good morning to them. And I saw they're drinking coffee. I said, hey, I'm getting some coffee too. Have you tasted it yet? What? Uh, yeah. Oh, I hope it's good. Simple things like that. Every day, every day. And, and the literature shows that if you just do that, stop it random places for 10 to 15 minutes that reduces crime and there's legitimacy of police. That means community and public trust you now. And they're more likely to tell you where those uh, bad guys are
0: as a social science researcher, he says data is incredibly important to determine what efforts truly work. He told us Utah does a pretty good job at collecting data on the juvenile side, which is where his focus is. But for adults, we found the state doesn 't currently have a system to track how many people are killed. In police incidents every year, let alone demographic details. A spokesman for the Attorney General's office says it's very difficult to track all that data, and the project fell by the wayside during the COVID pandemic. He told us the office recently decided to concentrate on that again. So this is a huge topic, of course. Uh, We aren't going to figure it out in a half an hour. But both Chief Burbank and Commissioner Prospero highlight the need for change in policing, communicating those needs, uh, listening with empathy, and then doing something to actually make that happen. Thanks for joining us this week on Plus. We'll see you next week.